when I, as a average sized female, am faced with a very tall, big man who I know is much stronger, that can be really intimidating until I could learn to turn and face and it's like, okay, he's human like me. He's bigger and stronger. We're practicing this together so we can both train our bodies and our psychobiology to be more present to not only each other in that moment, like how does one learn to turn and face the big, the ugly, the overwhelming, the imposing in such a way that I'm not backing down from it. I'm not frightened. And then I can make the better choices, right? Hey, it's David. And you're listening to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul your source for practical leadership inspiration, tools, and strategies you can use to achieve transformational results without sacrificing your humanity or your mind in the process. The landscape of life these days is chaotic, complex, and confusing. Do you know how to navigate it all? Given the current environmental, economic, and political realities, finding a way to navigate through it all is challenging yet essential. And it requires a skill that begins by accurately discerning your position, strategizing a plan, and only then moving forward. Steering through life's challenging yet essential for life and leadership. And our guest today will help you do that. Those remarks are just the opening words from her book. And I'm going to introduce her to you in just a minute. So glad you're listening today. And and before I introduce our guest, a quick reminder, please leave a review on your favorite podcast service. That helps other leaders find the same practical human-centered leadership strategies that you're listening to and implementing into your work. All right. So our guest today is Chris Johnson. She's the founder of Q4 Consulting, Inc., and passionately committed to creating feedback-rich environments that result in transformational change. Chris integrates teachings on the neurobiology of experiential learning. That's a mouthful right there. Neurobiology of experiential learning with mindful awareness and embodied practices, and you'll learn what that means, to offer programs that train attention and tap into the body as a rich source of intelligence, wisdom, and action. So Chris holds a doctorate of psychology from the Chicago School of Professional Psychology, where she's taught in the business psychology and executive and professional development programs. And what brings her to the show today? She's the author of The Leadership Pause. Sharpen your attention, deepen your presence, and navigate the future. All things I know I need, and everyone listening to this show does too. Chris, welcome to Leadership Without Losing Your Soul. Oh, thank you so much, David. I'm glad to be here. Well, we're excited you're here too to learn about uh, the leadership pause and all that that entails. But before we go there, I want to ask you uh, if you could take us back as far as you want to, to your earliest memory of yourself as a leader. Yeah, it was probably in junior high school, just saying probably in junior high school. And I was one of those kind of uh, nerdy, smarty pants kids who like really loved learning. And so as a result of that, I would speak up and raise my hand and like, hey, what about this? And what about that? And that worked really well for a part of the class. I grew up out in the country in a little country school. So there weren't tons of us. And then the other half just thought it was kind of weird. But the truth is, um, And I learned to embrace this over time because when you're in junior high, that kind of response isn't always well received and it wasn't by me. I was not very happy about it. But over time, uh, learning to embrace the fact that leadership really meant something to me and that I had a voice and uh, it was up to me as a young person and has continued to be, I have a responsibility to speak up 
when I see something that's either useful or valuable or something not quite working right. And, um, and that's what I did then. And so as we know, all of us leaders in whatever capacity we're in, there's a cost to being a leader. We have to really make ourselves open and vulnerable. And sometimes other folks don't like that. And that's really okay. Okay. And so even at a young age, that awareness of that practice of vulnerability in raising your hand and, and using your voice and, mm -hmm. and it's okay. And, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I, I definitely uh, share that in common with you, that love of learning and not afraid to raise my hand and ask the questions and engage and, and all the yeah. rest and that comes yeah. with, with consequences, doesn't it? It sure does. And it's, uh, and actually, I mean, I'm, if, when I'm honest, it's, it didn't, uh, it wasn't as easy then, but you learn it over time. And I definitely learned that over time. And I still have my moments. It's like, really, do I want to say something? Yes, actually I'm, it, the world is calling me to be responsive and say something. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you had quite a bit to say about the power uh, within the pause, the leadership pause, the title of your book. And I started the episode by sharing some of the opening lines from your book. Mm -hmm. The landscape of life these days is chaotic, complex, and confusing. Yeah. And you've written a book that goes very deep into the key to navigating it all, mm -hmm. which you say, and obviously it's in the title of the book, is a pause. Yeah. A simple pause. You, you go so far as to say your future success will depend on your ability to pause. Yeah. And I don't think I'm alone in that. I mean, William James, the father of psychology, talked about the importance of a pause. We know from the more recent neuroscience that when we pause, we can settle the neurochemicals in our body that increase agitation and stress and kind of keep that negative, vicious cycle going. And uh, I've just seen it over and over in my own life personally, but also in the leaders that I have had the good fortune to work with, that when we pause, we have a lot more access to the resources that live within us already. So anybody in a leadership position, regardless of what that position is, got there for some good reason. They have something to offer and bring to whatever that table is at the time. And so we want to have as much access to all of that as is possible because we need it more and more today. So yeah, I would. Um, it's a bold comment to say I think the pause is going to be the determining factor of your future success, but I really fundamentally believe it and I've seen it in, in life and with people. Well, walk us through that a little bit. So the fundamental of your, of your success is that pause. And so, and I know that the pause means many things. And so mm -hmm. we might even start at, at a, a 50,000 foot view, and then we can kind of dive in and, and explore some of the intricacies of it. But, mm -hmm. um, and, and you just touched on some of what it does in terms of settling our, um, nervous system, the agitation and the nervous system and all, mm -hmm. all of that. Yeah. What else is, a, is that pause doing for us and why is it so critical for leaders? Yeah, we're mammals and we are wired in such a way to uh, learn from and react to our environment to keep us safe, connected to the other humans around us, have a sense of dignity in who we are and be able ultimately to read the landscape. So that landscape could be a family landscape, that could be the community, it could be the larger marketplace that we're living in. And we wanna be able to read it and be responsive, not reactive. So the pause 
literally allows us a bit of time, right? A pause, as I define it, is um, it's an interruption of an automatic reaction that we're having. And so the automatic reaction is well designed by human nature, our biology. Like think about being in a car, somebody swerving into your lane, and you automatically react. We need that kind of reactivity, right? What we don't need in this kind of VUCA world is for each of us to be reacting at every incoming bit of data that happens. And with the advent of the internet uh, and the fast pace, the increased complexity, we're much more likely to react. So the pause buys us a little time, helps our nervous system settle. We can be more clear-headed. And that's probably one of the biggest things is that we can more accurately see what's going on, even our own reactivity, so that we can shift. Once we're aware, we have choice about how we act. If we're not aware, we're at the mercy of this kind of reactive state that we can easily get into, right? So there's that. And then um, the other thing, and I do go into it quite a bit in the, I think it's chapter seven, is it helps us to tune into what we care about the most, right? All of us care about something and our reactions are largely driven by old patterns that protect what we care about. So the more conscious we are, today we would call it being on purpose, knowing what our life purpose is, the purpose in our work. When we're able to pause, we can actually tap into what that means for each of us. Like, what do you, David, really care about? What do I, Chris, really care about? When we connect with what we care about, we can be more present to each other and to what really matters most. And then, then kind of the behaviors the actions that we're going to execute on become much more obvious to us, right? So, so the pause helps us, it settles down the nervous system. Yep. It helps us to be responsive, not reactive. Yep. Um, Self-aware to choose what, what it is that we're doing and be aware that we even have a choice and then and to be yeah. able to make that choice. Yeah. To see opportunities in the landscape and things that we might not have seen if we were not pausing to look. Mm -hmm. um, and, and many more... Okay, I want all of that. That sounds wonderful. Good. <laughs> and okay, I'm listening going, okay, Chris, that sounds great. Yeah. Do you, do you know my life? <laughs> do yeah, you it's know? bananas out there, right? right? There's no way. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I, I'm thinking of a leader I was talking with just the other day who, you know, their boss is a, a very high urgency person who, uh -huh. uh, you know, is at them constantly ta -ta 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 -ta, and expects you know, when they're asking for something that they almost have it before the sentence is done coming out of their you know, that kind of, a, mm -hmm. a, and the environment that they're in is incredibly fast paced. Yeah. And everybody's working these crazy 10, 12 hour days and, and, and yet they want to be human centered leaders. Yes. And I can't think of an environment in which the power of the pause is going to be in that, that leadership pause is more valuable, mm -hmm. but also maybe as hard as it comes to get there. So I'm curious as we start this conversation, just at a big picture level, and I don't mean to be dumb or simplistic, but <laughs> how do we pause? Yeah. How do we do that in this, you know, fast paced yeah. data constantly coming at us, requests coming at us, meetings back to back to back to back, you know, all those sorts of things. Right. How do we get there? Yeah. It's a great question. And it's one that I've spent a lot of time thinking about. So the genesis for me writing this book actually was at a business retreat with 
a guy, a business coach that I was working with at the time. And I was at a kind of a crossroads in my own, like, where am I going? Which direction? Having been in clinical practice for a long time and knowing what I wanted to move. And, um, in the course of the conversation and the work that we were doing, it's like, Chris, what would help you the most? And it was, you know, then I like, I paused, didn't call it that at the time, but that's what it was. I paused and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, if I could just have a little bit more space in my life and the schedule that I keep, I think I could be more clear headed. He said, oh, so you need like a, a regular pause a leadership pause. And I'm like, yeah, that's what I need. And so the, the title of the book like was right there, the leadership pause, because I needed it most. So when we start and we think about a pause as a, an interruption of an automatic reactive cycle, um, one thing is to be aware, like, um, that it's even a possibility that pause is actually much more critical and available to us than we think. Pausing a lot like breathing is both um, conscious and unconscious. So we unconsciously breathe as you and I are talking, we're breathing, we're not thinking about breathing, it's happening, right? And that's a function of our biology. And pause is not that different. We pause, you know, when we jump in the elevator, we pause in the car, um, but what we want to be able to do is bring conscious awareness to that choice to pause. And so when we do on purpose pause, and as you mentioned, there's lots of different kinds of pause, what will happen is it opens up vast possibilities for us. But getting started, the first thing to do is to entertain the idea that, you know, this crazy thing she's talking about, like a pause, could it be that significant? And I'm going to say yes. And so if you're willing to like, okay, I'm going to give it a shot. I'm going to do this pause thing and see what happens. I'm a big fan of experimenting. I wouldn't just believe me because I wrote a book about it and I practice it. I would like go out and like try that sucker on and like, oh, what could this be? Once that happens and you're willing to entertain it, then we start small. Then it's like, I'm going to just pause. And I call these like signpost pauses, right? So like when I get up to move to leave my office, I'll pause before I open, take the handle and open the door. Or I'll pause before the, I pick up the phone. Or I'll pause before I check my email. Now, those are little baby pauses, but they're intentional. And what they're doing is they're like working out at the gym and, you know, you don't start out lifting 50 or 60 pound weights. You start out with the smaller weights. You want to build the muscle of attention and awareness. And so by doing that over time, and the book has a number of pause practices within it, it's designed to help you get started, get started small, and then build on that as you mine your own experience. Like, what do you notice happening when you do it? And 10 to one, like every time people are like, oh, wow, I just uh, I led a session downtown with a big company last week. And at one point during the session, I said, we're going to do this pause practice 90 seconds tops. But I walked them through this practice and at least three of them. And it was a pretty small group, maybe a dozen, three of them like oh my God, I had no idea. And wow, I could just really feel myself settling. And you know what? I thought of this thing that I needed to do. A lot more becomes accessible and it's really, really simple and it doesn't cost a lot. And it's like, why are we not doing this more? So I needed to write this because I needed to read it, frankly. There you go. Well, you just you know, hit on a couple different things. The one you were talking about 
as you were having that conversation, the retreat, the regular pause that you named the leadership pause and mm-hmm. that kind of consistent space. And so there was that type. And then the signpost pause and mm-hmm. before, and it's just a moment of pause that we build in before doing a variety of different activities that we're doing every day. Yeah. And what occurs to me in that, when I picture myself doing it, is mm-hmm. I can reflexively open my email. Why? Because my hand just goes there and <laughs> wants to click on the email, right? Yeah. All of the dopamine hit, all whatever, all the things that they've built into the platform to get me to click, click, click. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, I've turned a lot of those off, but still, and I'm just thinking about if I can pause, mm-hmm. what am I doing? Yeah. Why am I doing it? Yeah. Is this actually what I want to be doing? Yes. And even just 10 or 15 seconds of that has a massive benefit in my attention, in my productivity, in my relationships. I, I can see the power of what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. It is so easy. You know, our brains are also wired to enact habits. And so what we want to do is we want to have good habits. We don't want to have habits that somehow like some internet company or some algorithm like seduced us into. And now Mm. I'm like reflexively grabbing and looking at my email. Mm. That's not really choiceful at all. It's not intentional. And yet we all get sucked into that kind of stuff. None of us are going to get away from that unless we're really intentional. And this is a way to practice being intentional in our leadership so that we can be more human to human, and not just at the mercy of all the external deadlines, et cetera. All of us who work crazy hours and get caught up in that, you know, we're at the mercy of something external. And really what I'm talking about is bringing it home internal, like, hey, I get to, like, how do I want to choose to respond to this incredibly insane expectation of my deadline, for example? Like, do I want to maybe have a different conversation? Do I want to kick butt and make it happen? Do I want to enlist my team? So it's really about bringing it in-house and working from the inside out. And, re- and the recognition that you have a choice. Absolutely. You know, multiple choices. I love that word that you just used. I don't think I've ever heard that before. Choiceful. Uh-huh. That wasn't particularly choiceful. I want to be more choiceful and the pause is a way to get there. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. All right. So we've talked about signpost pause and, and uh, you mentioned there are a number of different kinds of pauses. Can you give us a, I don't know about a full inventory, but what are some of the major kinds of pauses that we ought to be thinking about? Yeah, that's a great question. Well, so those momentary pauses, you could call them a micro pause. In fact, one of my clients talks about like the pause before the phone is a micro pause, right? So that would be a micro pause. A pause might be actually calendaring in your calendar, like a 15 minute lunch break or a 30 minute lunch break. It could be that you develop a practice that in a meeting, I'm going to pause and allow three other people to speak about the topic before I reflexively butt in with my opinion, right? Not that Mm -hmm. my opinion is bad, but there are different lengths. So a micro pause, a short pause, a built-in pause. It could be like Friday this week is a pause for me. I've blocked out the whole day to do some creative work. That's a kind of pause from the day-to-day kind of monkey grind that goes on. And I'm going to pause and actually allow myself to settle into some of this creative project I'm working on. We could pause for a weekend. 
we can do all kinds of pauses. So there are differing lengths. And the idea is to, when we're pausing, is to be intentional so that we can be fully present to whatever we're doing. So well, like, yeah. So a pause is not just, I'm just kicking back, like, you know, mm-hmm. hanging out and not thinking. Mm-hmm. It's You said it's intentional. Yeah. And yeah. so you're going to walk us through, what is that intentionality of, a, of an actual pause, a leadership pause look uh-huh. like? Well, like I said earlier, it's the awareness that I have a choice to take a pause. And then depending upon what you as a leader have to do, like what's on your queue that day, your calendar that week, what kind of pause do you need? Like maybe there's a really big, important board decision that has to be made. And so you've done the prep work leading up to it. I had a client last week, say, hey, I spent all this time uh, getting the board materials ready for the board be- meeting this week because we have a big decision to make. And so I'm like, well, where in there can you pause so you can make sure that you're fully present? And so what he came up with was, well, I need to insert a couple pauses in my prep to make sure I'm really getting the right materials present. And then I want to pause before I start in to the meeting because I'm leading it. And he's all he also he's hung around with me long enough to know that pausing affects our mood. And so I said, well, so what kind of mood do you want to set the tone for at the board meeting? And he told me and I said, okay, so what could that pause look like? And then he gave me an example of what he was going to do. And then I said, you know, you like to talk a lot. And uh, you have a lot of opinions, so I know that you can jump right in there. Is there a pause in the interaction in the board meeting where it would be most beneficial for you to hush up and intentionally pause to listen to the other opinions about the material at hand and the decision that you have to make? So there's lots of different ways to insert a pause. And really, probably the best and most Uh, immediate way is I ask people to tune into their breath to like, okay, I'm going to take a pause. I'm going to tune into my breath and I'm not going to think about my breath, like an abstract concept, like I can breathe, but more like I want to feel my breath. Like, oh, where is it? Where do I notice it most vibrantly is how I talk about it at my nose, at my mouth, my chest, my belly, where is breath? It could show up in other places too, but like, where do I notice it most right there? What happens by tuning into the breath as a physiological sensation, we're much more in the current moment and much more able to be present. So we break whatever reactive monkey mind thought we have, and we're right here. I might still go back to that, but at least I'm choosing to go back versus just getting run over by a truck going there, right? (laughs) Uh, Absolutely. So that's the intentionality of of taking a pause and the start of, of where it happens and then creating that awareness and then make being aware of the choices and making a choice. All right. So we're talking with Chris Johnson, doctor of psychology, the leadership pause is her newest book, sharpen your attention, deepen your presence and navigate the future. You know, Chris, as, as I was reading your book, you, you talk about all of these different kinds of pauses and benefits of pauses. And I got to thinking about one of the questions that comes up frequently for leaders uh, that we talk with, that we work with is, you know, they're, they're asked to be strategic. They're asked to be innovative. They're asked to solve problems. Mm-hmm. And that's very hard to do when you're in a reactive mode or Absolutely. when you're in a habit mode, 
Uh, and the, like you said, good habits can help us if it's helping mm -hmm. us be productive and all, but they can also keep us yeah. from seeing opportunities or looking at things differently. And, and you talk about a method, uh, what, so, so what, what now about how we can see things that maybe we don't normally see. I thought that might be helpful if you could walk us through a little bit of how we can use the pause, the leadership pause to be more strategic or solve problems differently or in a better way. Yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the chapters that the title is um, Let Go of What You Think You Know, that has a lot of meaning to me because it came like a moment of insight to me one day uh, while I was doing my pause practice. And uh, it was like, Chris, you really don't, you think you know, but maybe you don't really know what the deal is. And so I would say that by being willing to suspend what one thinks one knows, especially as a leader. I mean, leaders get into position of leadership because they have a lot of energy about it. They care about it. They have the skill set to move something forward that they care about. That's all good and well, but it's way easy to get caught up in, I think I know exactly the thing to do. And sometimes we do, but very often we don't know as much as we think we do, especially the higher up the food chain we get. And so being able to pause allows us to calm that central nervous system, to listen more effectively to the other voices in the room. And actually I would say to listen to the broader marketplace landscape and start to consider who are the other stakeholders in the decision that needs to be made. And so pausing allows us that clarity of mind. It allows us to access our best rational thinking and it also allows us the space to feel into, we hear a lot these days about the need for empathy. Think post pandemic, like there's this huge focus on empathy. It's always been important, but it's even more important now when we're not meeting in person, we're meeting like this over virtual. Like how does one have empathy? Well, we do that by listening and usually asking questions, curiosity, interest. So I'm not sure if I'm answering your question exactly, but all of those things create more space, a lot more openness, a sense of connection. How do we actually need to pace ourselves? And what's the energy flow? When a conversation is really juicy and flowing, it's energetic and it's moving, it's alive. When we're stuck in a jam, we've all been in these meetings that are going nowhere. We talk about the same stuff, nothing changes or gets done. And I would posit that a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're not pausing and we're listening less. We're very attached to what we think we already know. So what do you think about all that? How does that sound? I was resonating with your opening statement there because uh, one of my favorite bumper stickers many years ago was, don't believe everything you think. Exactly. And, <laughs> exactly. Uh, and I, how many times have I had to come back to that, that uh, it, it worked for me, whatever I was thinking, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's as effective or that there isn't a more effective or some other opportunities out there. And, mm -hmm. you know, you've got a, you, you walk us through in the book, this methodology of acknowledging what's so, so what is happening now? What are the, the things that are going on? What are the criteria for a successful solution? You know, whatever that looks like. Mm -hmm. And then the, so what? Yeah. Like, okay. And then the, what now? And, right. and as we pause to go through those three steps, the power in that to help us ideate and, yep. um, and engage our teams in meaningful ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, the, what's so 
it's really hard when we're attached to a particular way of thinking about something to actually look at the reality of what's so versus what I think I would like it to be, or I thought it was in my head or something like that. So once we're able to look at, okay, this, we're in a crummy situation, let's say, and it's crummier than we thought it was. And our numbers are lower and I don't really want to look at it, but like, what's so is that that's really kind of what's so. And then, so then like, so what? Well, that's not going to serve us very well in the long run, maybe not even in the immediate run. And so now what? Now where do we move with that? Um, One of the things that I ended up writing a lot more about that I didn't actually plan when I started the book was writing about my experience in Aikido, which is a martial art of peace. And you, you move with other people's energy and you move them. Right. And uh, I can tell you a lot more about that, but one of the beautiful things about that um, was this whole ability to kind of turn and face one's opponent. So I'm five, five, I'm kind of your average size gal. And the appeal of Aikido and the, the sensei, the teacher that I had was a five foot two female. So I saw her throwing these big, tall, big men across the room. And I'm like, Harry met Sally. I want some of that. I'll have what she's having thing. Right. <laughs> and so one of the things that was so great is when I, as a average sized female am faced with a very tall, big man who I know is much stronger, that can be really intimidating. And it was to my nervous system, right? Until I could learn to turn and face and it's like, okay, he's human like me. He's bigger and stronger. We're practicing this together so we can both train our bodies and our psychobiology to be more present to not only each other in that moment, or he's got a sword and he's coming at my head, um, but off the mat, like how does one learn to turn and face the big, the ugly, the overwhelming, the imposing in such a way that I'm not backing down from it. I'm not frightened. I can be really looking at the, you know, what is it? What is it? And then I can make the better choices, right? Uh, I had not thought of this until you were mentioning Aikido and then you were mentioning the, the guy coming at you with a sword and all of that. But uh-huh. there's this powerful scene. I don't know if you're a Star Wars fan or not. Oh, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So <laughs> in, in the prequels, I'm going to the prequels okay. because it's still a powerful scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, when uh, Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan are chasing Darth Maul and, uh, and Darth Maul kills Qui-Gon and now Obi-Wan is, it, you know, he's sad, but... And there's these uh, uh, barrier doors that like are zapping into place. Mm-hmm. And so the door zaps into place. And what does Obi-Wan do? He kneels and he takes a leadership pause. If I'm going to use uh-huh. Chris Johnson's language, uh-huh. you know, and, and Darth Maul is, you know, a, a dark side force, angry and everything else. But mm-hmm. Obi-Wan quiets himself. Confronting what bigger fear is there than the person who just killed your master, who's supposed to be better than you are, yeah. uh, and that's what came to mind as you were describing that mm-hmm. is how do you quiet everything to get centered to be and do and and reignite? How did you call it the psychobiology that that you've developed? Yeah, and it's and it's something that we can train for. We don't all have to train on an Aikido mat or in martial arts, although those are great body-based practices to do that. 
But what we can do is intentionally learn to turn toward the hard thing, that, that hard conversation or the hard bit of facts that really don't line up with how I thought we were going to go this year in terms of our revenue and whatnot, our bottom line. If we can learn to do that by first pausing, then there's a whole lot available to us. We still have to do our work and have to get on it and do the work of business as we know it but we'll be much more present to it. And we can access that courage that it sometimes takes. Leaders have to make a lot of hard choices and it takes courage. And so we can access that as well with the process. I, I, I believe that that ability that you just described or that willingness, it's, it's both a willingness and a skill and, mm-hmm. a dis- and a discipline. Yes. To turn to the hard thing. Mm-hmm that that is one of the characteristics that distinguishes really effective leaders from those that aren't so much. I would totally agree. Absolutely. And it's something we can train for intentionally. Along with that, I'm glad that you mentioned Aikido because you talk about an Aikido principle in, in the book that I thought, wow, that's, that's powerful. And, and something that I certainly need in my life. It's the principle of one is one. And something that you learned on the matter in Aikido, but it has all of these life applications for us in leadership. So I wanted to ask you if you could elaborate. Tell us what is one is one. Yeah. Thank you for asking. One is one was a really hard, a hard lesson for Chris Johnson to learn. So I can be pretty driven and ambitious and I can get impatient to want to get to where I'm going kind of thing. In Aikido, we practice with weapons. And so there are different kata, which are forms that we use with a joe or with a sword, a boken, in the training with our sensei. And one of the things that happened a lot, it was her constant phrase, one is one and two does not exist until you've completed one. And so if you're like striking somebody above the head and then moving really quickly, sometimes I would move too quickly and one wasn't complete yet. And I was already on to two, which really revealed on the mat, like my tendency to rush sometimes. That's an an old strategy where I wanted to get out ahead of things and it worked. It got me so far in life and gets a lot of people in life. And then it can become an impediment to future leadership effectiveness. Right. And so I wrote about it in the book because it really irritated me. She would stop and she'd say, no, Chris Johnson, one is one. Two doesn't exist until one. And she would shout and it kind of breaks through all your like, well, I'm startled kind of stuff. But it was, it's a really powerful lesson to your point, not just on the mat, but in life. Like, can I allow one to be one and really the fullness of whatever one is to then move to the next right step? And that's, an essential skill for leaders. We've seen leaders who get out ahead of their skis usually doesn't work very well, right? Then they have to go back. We do rework. The morale on the team is lousy versus if we had like been more intentional, paused, do the act, in this case, striking with the Boken and let one be one, very powerful. Mm, I am loving this conversation so much. Talking with Chris Johnson, the author of The Leadership Pause, Sharpen Your Attention, Deepen Your Presence and Navigate the Future. Uh, and just who knew there were so many different angles, aspects, and and opportunities in a word or an action like pause, yeah. and and so much power is one of the the themes that's coming out of this conversation for me. Mm-hmm. So 
Uh, Chris, you in the book, you and for listeners, there are a number of I mean, every section, every chapter ends with these different activities that you can do that mm-hmm. you can very practically apply practice and, and different kinds of pauses, self inventories, mm-hmm. all, all those different angles. I asked Chris as we were getting on air before uh, we hit the record button, if she'd be willing to walk us through one of these, um, which is on in my copy, at least it's page 191. It's called touch and go pausing to self-correct. And uh, you said it would help for us to understand the concept of a, of, of a trigger and maybe not in pulp culture sense, but mm-hmm. uh, as you take us through this, I thought this would be a really awesome opportunity for listeners to mm. experience a pause while we're in the episode. Cool. Yeah, here's what I would say. It's called touch and go, pausing to self-correct, because very often when we're touched, if we're triggered, we go into react mode because we don't like something. It wasn't supposed to go this way. This person's irritating, all that kind of stuff. Those are examples of lived triggers. And a trigger is anything in the way that I talk about it that takes us out of the moment that we're in and stirs us up in some way, right? So, and triggers aren't necessarily bad. I talk about that as well. I I really believe that triggers are actually the way into growing our leadership. So this pause practice in the book is part of self-correcting because if I can quickly, oh yeah, I'm doing that thing I do and it's a reaction, then I can quickly shift it, settle in with a breath and a pause and regroup. So here's how we'll do this. I'm going to get myself situated here on the sit-in. What I'd invite you to do, if uh, as long as you're not in the car, if you're in the car, keep your hands on the wheel. But otherwise, what I would say is find position either standing or sitting where you're comfortable in your body and just let yourself be comfortable because what we want to do in this practice is um, tune in to actually when we get triggered and then to self-correct out of that so we're downshifting our pace a little bit and we're going to rewire our energy so we can be more effective that's the point of this practice so bring your attention right now to your breath where you notice it most vibrantly. And Dave, I'd invite you to do this right along with us. Where it's most vibrant for you, your nose, your chest, your belly. And then follow your breath and see if you can keep your attention focused on the breath for three inhalations. And then exhaling, the length of the out breath is just a little bit longer. And probably breath two settling and then breath three and then allow yourself now that you're a little bit more settled to reflect on a trigger that always gets you so i'm going to list a few it could be one of these or something else there's a right way to do this yes i'll be found out if i speak up something bad will happen It always does. Damn it, I know I'm right. This knucklehead is doing X. And there could be many other triggers, but bring one of them to mind just for a few moments. And I often, as I often tell my clients, I'd imagine that there's a little dial like a thermostat on the wall. So as you bring this situation in your life where you're triggered to mind, in living color. So who's there? What happened? What's your emotional response like? 
I would turn up the heat a little bit on that situation, just a degree or two, not so it's super hot, just a little bit, and let it blossom a little bit more. Notice how you're talking to yourself and the beliefs that you're attached to. Notice where this trigger's taken up residence in your body, your tissue. Is it your jaw? Or maybe you have an uptick of energy. What are you noticing in your physical sensations? Notice anything about the scene that would help you grapple with this trigger in a new way. So the texture of it, the feel, the emotional response. Allow yourself to just touch into this energy of your trigger. It's a portal into more possibilities for you, but you want to get to know it really intimately so you can work with it. And take another deep breath or so. And as you exhale, just let that experience go. You're turning down the temperature. And then take one more cleansing breath. And then as you do, allow yourself to come back to the present moment that you're in. And recall whatever insight or awareness you're taking away from this practice. Because whatever that is, you can use to self-correct around your trigger. So David, I might ask you if you'd be willing to, to share with your listeners what happened for you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so in the description of the exercise, you talk about how when we're doing this, we're actually rewiring our nervous system by learning from what that is. And so um, the specific uh, thing that I chose is I can fire up really quickly when someone tells me they know what I'm thinking or feeling. Um, that it, for me, that's, it's advice. I don't know what all the things are. It doesn't even matter why, but yeah, <laughs> that just, whoo, I'll go from zero to 60 and I may not outwardly react. Uh -huh. Sometimes I do, but boy, internally the <laughs> steam has risen, you know? <laughs> okay. Uh -huh. And, uh, and so as you were asking like, okay, turn up the thermostat a little, like where had I experienced that definitely in my chest and a tightness and, and all of that, like just this. Yeah. Um, that, that goes there. And what was interesting was as I processed and, and reflected and, and had that awareness that you guided us through, um, for me, it was the curiosity of how can I be curious about whatever is going on for the other person that, that perhaps that invasiveness I'm perceiving is not what's actually intended, that there's something else there. What how can I broaden my vision, broaden my perspective a little bit and mm -hmm. show up there with some curiosity? Let's be honest, that's not taking the steam all the way down to nice cold ocean water, but mm -hmm. it, at least it drops the it drops the pressure a little mm -hmm. bit mm -hmm. uh, was the ex my experience. So I don't know if that's where I should have gone, but that's what happened for me. No, that is. I mean, this was short, probably no more than 90 seconds, right? And so the idea is, uh, and I do talk about this in the book about the notion of deliberate practice. 
I hold that leadership itself is a practice and that inside of leadership as a practice, there are other supporting practices that can help us to work with ourselves. You know, there's nothing more important, Dan Siegel speaks about this, than a well-regulated nervous system. Mm -hmm. If we can have a well-regulated nervous system where we can use the energy of our emotions and our responses in order to move us forward, that's great. If it's not well-regulated, we don't have access to that and we are at the mercy of everything external or internal that provokes us, right? So this is just one example of starting to turn down the temperature, the heat a little bit, maybe not all the way to ocean, but in a way that you can keep working at that edge so that you can then bring that curiosity into, oh, isn't that interesting? How do I do that for other people? And isn't it interesting that in these kinds of circumstances, that's where I go. And like, huh, wonder about that. Where did that come from? What do I want to do with that? Would it be useful to explore? So those are all ways that we can work and do a bit of self-correction. Oh, I love that, Chris. Thank you for taking us through that. The uh, the the value of, of making a practice of that. And I so appreciate what you're saying, that leadership is a practice mm-hmm. uh, and literally practice in terms of something that takes time to learn. And uh, I'm recalling uh, images uh, in, in the book where you're talking about gaining mastery mm-hmm. and the, the process of gaining mastery and how many of us dive into something and then uh, we, you know, we, we lose interest in it or uh-huh. we get obsessed with it for a while and we lose interest in it or right. all, you know, all the different things, but that actual mastery takes time. It does. Totally. We are all works in progress and the predominant culture says we have to arrive somewhere and then we're cooked. And that's just fundamentally not how we're wired as humans. And so to swim upstream against that, that predominant view requires a bit of fortitude. And so this is a set of practices that can help us develop that. And part of the value, and and as you're describing all of this, I just, I can't help but think about, obviously we've been talking a lot about the pause and all the work that we're doing for ourselves so that we can be the best leader we are. But in terms of extending that and extending that mm-hmm. compassion, ability, systems that include pauses, all the different elements that we're bringing to our team and that we're all works in progress, mm-hmm. you know, that's what, it's, it's why I do this show. It's why I do the work I do. This isn't just about the KPIs you're meeting today. Nope, not at it's, all. It's the, the, the work you're doing in the world as a leader in the context of the KPIs that you've got to achieve today. That's right. That's right. You know, one of the sayings that I use um, that I've learned from others that I work with is, you know, um, leaders go first. Leaders go first. And so we have to go first, even in something as simple as a pause practice, because we know, and I I talk about it in the chapter where I speak to presence, you know, when you walk in a room and there's a leader with real presence, they're there, they're with you, they're in the material that you're talking about, they're maybe looking at KPIs, but they're really attuned to you, that attunement, that kind of presence, that's what we want in leaders, I think, in the future, because we have some really tough decisions ahead and we're all going to have to work together to enact and affect changes that are going to work for everybody. So having that kind of presence, that's really where we're going with this. So leaders go first. Absolutely. All right, gosh, we are about out of time. I could keep talking and and do more pause work here. 
that said, let's take a quick pause and tell us, Chris, where we can connect with you. You've got a great opportunity for listeners coming up mm -hmm. um, that you were telling me about that uh, for people who want to explore and do more of this in, in an applied way. Mm -hmm. um, tell us where to find you and where to find out more information. Sure. So you could go to my website, q4-consulting.com. You can go there to look and find the book, or you can go check it out on Amazon, The Leadership Pause. Uh, but what David is mentioning is that I'm going to be offering a, a course this fall called Calm the Chaos for Busy Professionals. And I'll be integrating the content in this book through an eight-week session uh, where there'll be a lot of body-based practices like the pause practice we just did that'll be incorporated into the science of leadership and embodied learning. So you can reach me. You could also email me directly at drchris at q4-consulting.com. Oh, thank you for that. What a great resource. Uh, I don't know anybody who doesn't need to calm the chaos just a little bit more. You know, uh, what, you know what I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking of all of the applications here for myself. And, you know, when I'm tired or pressured, I've got 13 things in my mind. And, mm -hmm. you know, I know I don't show up as my best self in relationships or the work I'm doing. And, mm -hmm. um, and just the value of the pause in that context, too, there's just so many different applications, aren't there? I would definitely agree. And, you know, we all default to our old strategies. So there's nothing wrong with it. It's just that they're not as effective and they don't feel as good. And I don't know about you and your listeners, but I'd like to feel good and be effective. Same time. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about. Yeah, I, I love the, the choice of effective uh, mm -hmm. that ultimately it's not a right or a wrong. It's am I being effective as effective as I want to be for myself, for the people around me, for the work I'm doing? Yeah. Uh, love it. Chris Johnson author of The Leadership Pause, Sharpen Your Attention, Deepen Your Presence, and Navigate the Future. Thank you so much for being a guest today on, on the show. Really appreciate it. It's been delightful to be here, David, and I hope and trust that this is useful to your listeners, and I look forward to our crossing paths again. Absolutely. It's been my pleasure, and I am sure we will, and I'm also sure that it's valuable for our listeners because I know that I've got a lot out of it <laughs> myself. So if I've got something, I'm sure listeners, as you're turning things off and, and heading out today, Find that opportunity to take a pause, a micro pause, a signpost pause, maybe a longer pause, and be the leader you'd want your boss to be. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.